0: Welcome to Standout, the show that shares strategies you can use right now to get noticed and be seen as a thought leader in your industry. I'm your host, Cheryl Tan, with CherylTanMedia.com. This is episode number 51. We focus quite a bit on visibility on Standout, of course, on things you can do to be seen as an expert in your field. Over the past 50 episodes, we've talked about PR, podcasts, video marketing, content marketing, and speaking, just to name a few of the topics. It's so gratifying to get your message out to more people, but if you're a business owner, all that visibility doesn't do much unless it results in sales. I'd love to get your take on this. We can discuss it in the standout Facebook community, a truly wonderful group of business owners and marketers. Go to CherylTanMedia.com forward slash community and the link to join is right there on the page. Most people come to me to get help raising their visibility because they feel that visibility will get them more clients and customers. It can certainly do that. And my next guest says that good marketing makes the sales job a whole lot easier. But what happens if that is not the result? What if the sales machine is broken? I'm thrilled today to introduce all of you to Matthew Kimberly. I have no idea where I heard of Matthew first, probably on a podcast somewhere, but once I heard of him, I immediately signed up for his email list. His emails are entertaining, they're motivational, and I learn a lot about what you need to do to be successful in sales. And remember, you don't have a business unless you have sales. As you'll hear in this episode, Matthew has a long history in sales. He's the former head of the Book Yourself Solid School of Coach Training, and he's the creator of the School for Selling. This is an episode you may wanna come back to, as Matthew shares quite a bit, his systematic process for creating confidence in selling, how a job as a timeshare salesman helped shape how he approaches selling today, and it's not what you think, and he gives us a checklist you can use over and over again to guarantee sales in your business. Here's Matthew Kimberly. Matthew, welcome to Standout. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me, Show. I'm so excited to talk with you. And mainly it's because of the topic. Uh, Oddly enough, I was looking through my past shows, and on Standout, we don't really talk a lot about sales. Uh, we talk about publicity, we talk about attention getting, we talk about speaking, but sales is not really one of those things that we talk about. I think mainly because in the very beginning, I thought if you build it, they would come—the <laughs> sales that is—and I and I don't and I know you would say that that is not the case. So, talk to me a little bit about sales and what the misconception about sales is.
1: Sure. So probably one of the reasons that you haven't discussed sales an awful lot on standout is because sales isn't particularly sexy. Sales is a necessary evil. Sales is the thing that everybody tries to avoid. And so what we do is we focus on, um, the stuff that is more enjoyable, the stuff that is more creative, the stuff that is more fun, the stuff that when done correctly makes the sale easier. Because what we really want to be is an order taker. That's the ideal. The ideal is that we never have to persuade anybody of anything and we never have to convince anybody to do anything because the minute they arrive at our door, because all the marketing that we've done has been so effective and because the branding that we have stamped upon ourselves and our business has been so um, convincing and because the, the PR strategies that we've used have been so effective that when people do arrive at our door, they just say, hey, I'm in, where do I sign? Michael Port is my mentor, friend and the founder of the Book Yourself Solid system. And I worked under his, I guess, tutelage or mentorship for five years. Prior to that, I was a salesperson, died in the blood, a salesperson who did professional selling. I had a recruitment company I used to own, uh, and I did Timeshare, and I did everything else. And I'd learned sales. I'd I'd studied sales material. And it was the first time when I opened a recruitment company, and then when I went into small business advice, it was the first time I would really had to focus on marketing. And Michael always says, and it's stuck with me from, it'll probably be on my headstone, uh, he says, you know, marketing doesn't get you clients. What marketing does is it creates awareness about who you are and what you have to offer the world. And it's what you do with that awareness that counts. So the minute that your marketing works, that is the minute that somebody enters into your life, gives you their contact details, makes an inquiry, shows up at your door, joins your mailing list, um, fills in a piece of paper for more information, then selling kicks in. So what I'm interested in professionally is how we can be more effective in that isolated Isolated is the wrong word, but that that bit, that specific bit that starts when people identify themselves, or when we identify people to be a prospect, and how to increase the likelihood that they will become a customer. What are the things? What are the boxes that we can check? What are the non-negotiable systematic processes that we can implement that will decrease the likelihood of a good prospect? not becoming a customer. So I believe that we can become order takers. I believe that we don't have to be gregarious and eloquent and talkative and charming and charismatic (laughs) in order to make a sale. But all we need to do is follow a very straightforward checklist. Have we given the prospect the opportunity to get their questions answered? Have we mitigated their risk? Have we given them a reason to do it today instead of tomorrow? Have we demonstrated our credibility? Have we reinforced that with case studies and testimonials? Um, Have we properly qualified the prospect right at the beginning of the process so that we're not pitching the wrong thing to the wrong person? Um, Have we determined that they're a decision maker? Have we determined that they've got the budget? Have we connected with them? Have we found some way of connecting with them and making them like us as well as respect us? Because even though any one of those things might not count for much on its own, The incremental advantage that we have by stacking up these little pointers that push people towards the sale, it's like a game of Jenga, right? You keep, they say when when the the Jenga thing collapses, that's when we've made the sale. Well, it's about pushing out the block and pulling out the blocks one at a time just to increase the likelihood that the prospect will fall into our lap.
0: Oh, I like that. Oh, I like that a lot. I like that visual. And I like thinking of it as... Like a McDonald's transaction. Do you want fries right. with that? Do you want a Diet Coke or something for dessert? Because then it becomes something that they see as a transaction. I need to go back. Cause you said Can I, you can, would... I can
1: I say something yeah, before you go back? Absolutely. Because you just made me think of something. The beauty of McDonald's is that everything is utterly, utterly systematized, right? Yeah. Do you want fries with that? Do you want to supersize that? Um, when Many business owners, right? We can increase the customer. The simplest way to increase our revenues is by going to existing customers and selling them more. Depending on who you who you ask, but that's a, a, a fairly common, um, you know, process or structure or strategy for increasing revenues. Is you increase revenue per customer because an existing customer you don't have to acquire all over again, so you just increase the the, the amount of cash they're giving you. Which is why our our, our best prospects are also our existing customers. Mm. Many of us, particularly one-man bands, two-man bands, we make a pitch, we, whether that's 10 seconds or 10 months, we win the business, and we're so grateful to win the business that we don't want to muck it up by saying, we don't want to appear to be pushy, God forbid, by saying, hey, you know what, Do you want fries with that, or would you also like the photography package, or listen, I've got a makeup artist yeah. coming as well. Um, or let's get the wardrobe mistress in, you know, assuming that you're a photographer or something like that. Um, whereas if it's AI or if it's a computer or if it's a touchscreen, or if you're a minimum wage employee who, who, you know, it's just your bloody job, just go ahead and do it. Of course, you're going to ask, do you want fries with that? Because the stakes are low, but in our heads, we raised the stakes to being monumental. Did you ask them if they want the egg? Oh, I couldn't. I was so grateful to get the business. I was afraid they were going to run off. Or what's the worst that can happen? Congratulations for buying your Tesla. Would you like the matching interiors um, for an extra 25000
0: I think you're what talking ha- directly to me, Matthew, because you're right. Think- you're exactly right. I would never think to say, hey, would you like this on top of the package that you've already decided on? Ooh. And if
1: it's true, you can say what most people like to do is this. And what we've done then is we've included an element of social proof and, Mm -hmm. you know, eliminated risk because other people are doing it. So um, nobody's going to say, actually, now that you offered me the extra seats or the interior trim, I don't want the Tesla anymore. Literally nothing bad can happen from it. Nothing bad can happen. But we're so terrified of it. We always put the prospect on a pedestal goodness gracious, Mr. Prospect, thank you for giving us your business. We're so grateful. And that's exactly what has to switch. That's exactly what has to switch for most business owners. You walk in there, you say, here's the prescription I'm going to give you. Sit down, I'll be with you. Sit down, I'll be with you in five minutes.
0: So I like what you're saying. And a lot of it is is confidence. I know I've heard you talk about confidence before. And that is the problem for many people when they go into a sales situation where they're selling something and they're not buying something, they're the seller. And they like lose, they lose themselves. They lose confidence. They're not themselves when they're in that situation, whether it's in front of somebody uh, face-to-face or maybe on the phone. How do you help build that confidence for that business owner or the person sure. selling something
1: so I'm not the best person in the world to talk about the soft stuff. You know, for a while I tried. I was a life coach for about three minutes and very, very wise I can't see that, that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I wrote a book um, once upon a time called How to Get a Grip, which was a self-help book. And it sold really well in the UK. It sold like 50,000, 60,000 copies in the UK, maybe more. Wow. Uh, but it was very anti-self-help. It was like, get out of bed. Stop eating chips. Go for a run!
0: Get over yourself!
1: So I'm really the worst person. But here's what Tough, love, right? Tough love,
0: right? Tough love, self help. <laughs>
1: um, I think that may have been the strap line. Um, here's, the, here's, the, here's the thing about confidence confidence and enthusiasm are not the same, right? Confidence is certainty, confidence is surety. I am confident that before the end of the weekend, hundreds of people around the world will die in car accidents. I'm confident of that. I am not enthusiastic about it. I'm not happy about it. I wish it wasn't so, but the statistics back me up. We have sufficient experience to know that if somebody gets behind a car, you know, something bad is gonna happen. Um, if if a thousand or 10,000 or six million people get behind a car a wheel this weekend, something bad is gonna happen. Experience tells us that, therefore we can be confident. We can also be confident about good things, right? Um, We could be confident that uh, if we go to bed at nine o'clock, we're probably going to wake up more refreshed than if we go to bed at three o'clock. And that's, I'm I'm not particularly excited by that. I could get enthusiastic about it if I was sleep deprived, but I can be confident about that because our own personal experience bears it out. So what I want all salespeople to do is come and work under me for six months and just follow my instructions blindly. Right, Which is go and have a conversation with a hundred strangers, pick up the phone yeah, I'm not a huge proponent of cold calling, but for many industries it still remains one of the most uh, cost effective ways of getting new customers on board. Get on the phone and speak you know one hundred and twenty dollars a day, one hundred and twenty dollars a day for forty conversations for five pitches for one close. Do it every single day, and then let's see what happens. Could you therefore, once you've got all that data you might not enjoy it, nobody enjoys making cold calls. Um, You may not even enjoy the process of selling full stop, but you can begin to get confident about the outcome, right? Mm. I am confident that if I pitch this thing to five people, then one person will buy it. I am confident that if I jump on a plane and go to, I'm going to Slovenia, right? One of my upcoming trips, I'm going to Slovenia. I'm confident that the cost of hotels, flights, time away from the family, um, uh, and marketing to address between 400 and 800 people in a room in Slovenia will be well, well rewarded by the revenues I'll make on the other end from converting some of these 400 to 800 people into customers, right? It's the cost of marketing. We can be confident about that. And it's the same with selling. you know, what if I told this person, oh, by the way, if you don't buy today, you can't have it next week. What if we said that a hundred times, what would happen? Well, we can hypothesize about it, but unless we have experience of it, we will never know. Yeah. So do it, work out what works, get out of your own head, lower the stakes, give yourself, you know, many people like patience. many people like patience. They say, I pitched five people this week and, and, and nothing's happened, so it's okay. Just pitch another five next week and another 20 the week after that, and another 50 the week after that, and let's get the data and work out what we can do. So I think sales is, is scientific, generally. It doesn't mean that we can be automatons, although I've seen a ton of automatons sell very well um, in some industries. You know, have you ticked the boxes? Yes. Um, customers aren't enthusiastic about buying insurance, but they realize that it's a thing that they need to have. So you can send an order taker there with a checklist. Just follow, literally follow the script. Ask the questions, sign the business. Um, char- charisma helps. Eye contact helps. Being likable does help but it's by no means the be-all and end-all. In fact, it's far from the be-all and end-all. I know plenty of very successful salespeople who are obnoxious individuals who I want to spend time with, right? And so do you. (laughs) Um, It's a a simple matter. So so that's where I think confidence comes from. I think you need to learn confidence and it can be learned by doing things that will give you the data to back up your assumptions with fact. And I hope that many of your assumptions will be proven wrong. You know, a lot of excuses.
0: When did you realize that you were good at sales? Like, when did you realize that this was your calling or that it was the thing that you are basing what you do now on?
1: I've always been interested in financial independence. And that may be, that may sound confusing um, when I said I'm not particularly motivated by money. I'm really not. You know, I have no doubt whatsoever that if I'd put my back into it, I could have retired by now, particularly with my professional history. So I was always more interested in having a good time, and um, you yeah, know the companies that I've walked away from started and walked away from because it wasn't fun anymore. Yeah. But I've always been interested in financial independence, and I've always been when I was a kid, I used to go out and uh, perform in the street like busking, juggling, and and unicycling, and fire really? breathing, and stuff like that. yeah, yeah, it was how I earned my allowance. Wow. So I didn't get an allowance from my parents when they realised that I could earn. Probably, back in the, probably accounting for inflation, the equivalent of a hundred dollars an hour. Oh right? my goodness. It's going, it's going back <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't years give you
0: an allowance now. either if I were your
1: parents. <laughs> oh, right? So I'd go oh, on the weekend, my, pa- my, my, my parents would say, what are you off- what are you say, I'm off to work. Dad would be like, well, I'm going to tax you when you get home. So don't forget to let me know how much you earn. Um, but then my friends would say, what do you want to do this weekend? Do you want to go to X, Y, or Z? Do you want to jump on the train and go to London? Do you want to go and get into, sneak into underage parties and get drunk and all these things? And And I would say yes. And I knew I could always say yes, because my only responsibility was to go and earn that, you know, inflation adjusted hundred dollars an hour by doing a couple of hours work. And I really like the idea that um, when you're in selling, you're in charge of your to a certain degree, you're in charge of your income. And when you're in selling as the business owner, then really, you know, you, I'm not going to talk about the sky's the limit because that's not true. And it's not true for me. And it's probably not true for most people. But certainly, you know, if the alternative is now for me, uh, and I still believe I'm at heart a salesperson who sells sales training products and courses and services, right? Um, uh, now for me, it's about things like can we decamp for a week and go to Italy? Can we? Um, can I knock off in the middle of the day because my wife wants to either – go to a client meeting or go to the gym or can I take the kids to the beach or can I just go for a swim because I live in the Mediterranean you know that is possible I believe because my job allows me especially as a self-employed sales person uh allows me to choose where I live so those things become more important so there was no specific stage all of my earlier jobs were in sales always slightly hungry for money uh but not to the extent where it dictated what I what I do and still today I know I leave money on the table all the time but um
0: but it gives you a lifestyle that. that you can live with. And the two, makes the two aren't, yeah, I'm not
1: making excuses for myself, or maybe I am, but the two, the two aren't, um, I could have the lifestyle and three times the annual revenue. Um, but I've always had the confidence, here we go, coming back, maybe maybe coming back full circle, based on historical performance, that as long as I have my health, then I'm going to be able to pay the mortgage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? And now what I'm working on, now my plan for the next few years is, well, what if I don't have my health? Can I still pay the mortgage then? So this is where I'm moving from a service-based business to a product-based
0: business. I gotcha. So we're going to watch you shift a little bit if people are following you, following your emails, things like that. Well, slowly
1: happening. You know, this year I think there've been more product sales than service sales in my business. Uh, Those products are online courses or 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 similar or you know do-it-yourself stuff as opposed to um, there's been there's been more of that. I'm not planning on retiring from service business at all, but I'd like to make sure that. God forbid one day I have to,
0: um,
1: I don't have to go and get a job with the civil service right? where they don't care about competence or ability. (laughs) Uh,
0: So I want to actually, okay, so if I'm listening to you and I've, you know, we've known each other for a little while and it's been great to hear about your sales experience and, and how you serve your customers. If you are struggling or if you're listening to this podcast and you want to grow your business in some way, get out and talk to a bunch of people. Great. So that's what you're saying. Talk to a lot of people. And then what? Like, what would you tell somebody to do? So talk to a lot of people. And then what, what do you say on those calls? How do you figure out what they want to buy? What is it that you do afterward to build that so that they say, okay, I'll take that. And I'll take fries and a milkshake.
1: Well, it's a very big question. It and, is. It, and it does, you know, it depends on it could take go hours, out and talk to a bunch of people. Yeah. Go out and talk <laughs> to a bunch of people wouldn't actually be the first thing. right? So it would be, it would be working out which bunch of people I'm talking to. So here's the thing. We've got a combination of form and activity um, in, in sales. Cause we've got, all got a sales muscle. I was about to show you my guns then. Oh, yeah? not to so, okay. Save us all embarrassment. Um, we've all got a sales muscle. Uh, and like any muscle, it could be grown with a combination of um, two things. One is exercise. Uh, but the other one that is, not equally important, but quite important is form. So when we're doing these exercises, we can do a hundred sales pushups to stretch the metaphor and the analogy, uh, which, which would be fine. And we can then, once we're getting into the habit of doing those push-ups, we can improve the form to make them more effective. Right? So what a lot of people are lacking when they come to me is any activity, frankly, when was the last time you made a say? Someone comes to me when they're desperate. I prefer to get, people, get to people before they're desperate because I believe much more is possible from my services if you're already in a good place. To the point where in the future, I'm going to start saying, you know, I can't help you if, if, if you're your own worst enemy. But if you've already got a great business, then I can help you. Um, because as coaches, we like to back winners right? Because it's our client's result. Uh, therapists may be different or, or health coaches, but business coaches, yes, we can take somebody from failing to, to thriving, but um, it's, it's more hard work than I'm oh, yeah. willing to take on, right? So many people when they come to me, they say I haven't made a sale in four weeks or two months or four months. I say, okay, no problem. That's what I'm here for. So tell me, what's your close rate? So how many, how many sales conversations have you had that have resulted in no sales? And of course, they say, actually, I haven't had any sales conversations for the <laughs> last four months. And I say, right, I think I see a correlation here. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why my first piece of advice might be go to the mall, walk up to 100 strangers every Saturday and every Sunday and say, hey, you look like the kind of person who'd benefit from some empowered feminine hygiene products. Why don't we have a chat about that? Or would you like to find out more? Or would you like to take some material? Or can I interest you in a free sample? Or we're running a promotion today. You can get 10 for the price of four. Yeah. What if you do that 100 times over a Saturday? You're going to make a sale? Probably. You know, if we're not selling $50,000 services, right? Um, so, okay. So now we're doing that. Now we know that our closing rate is 1%. We're speaking to 100 people and making one sale. Okay, mystic sanitary pads. Okay, so, or for example, I'm sorry, my mind's gone. My mind's gone, gone all (laughs) over.
0: I think we've lost this now.
1: (laughs) We've made one sale by talking to a hundred people, right? So then we to say, great, keep those levels of activity, but now let's work on form. Let's look at the steps of what you know my trademark steps of professional persuasion. What about the people we're talking to? Did you try and sell your sanitary pads to? Um, the fifty five year old guy and his dad in the wheelchair, right so okay, so what about if we only spoke to women? Could we increase our this is a very extreme example, but you see what i 'm getting at absolutely could we increase our close rate to two or four percent if we didn 't speak to any men yeah, I think we could okay let 's go and do that right next, have you got any case studies have you and, and this is how I would build up it 's a systematic process for building up the the power the cumulative power of the close or, or indeed not even the close but the open from the open to the close and choosing who to talk to um, but I'd also say that yeah I've I've got a course which um, I sell for thousand dollars it's a school for selling um, and I had maybe maybe about two percent refund rate on that so maybe three um, it depends on the source of the leads. But um, somebody approached me other day. They said, look, I'd, I'd like a refund. The course is absolutely fantastic. It's great. I don't do too well with self-study courses. So I do want to take advantage of your 100% no questions asked money back And which is why it's there. You know, that person probably wouldn't have even given it a shot if if uh, if the risk mitigation hadn't existed. Right. So um, she said, I was kind of hoping that sometime during this month, I would make a sale for $997 using the material that you've learned that I'd learned that would offset the cost of the thing. Now, could she have done? Yes. I mean, I'd argue to, my, to to the end of time that she could have found something, but she didn't. And there will often be people like that. Um, so my advice to anybody can't be cookie cutter. It can't be, when you ask me, Cheryl, you know, go and talk to people, then what? It really depends on who you are. If you're the kind of person who's decided that a thousand bucks in new business this month is impossible, I, I'm I'm not after that kind of business anymore. You know, I, 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 um, I wish I was the right person for that. There are a thousand better people at doing that than me. And it's super important because instilling this confidence and building this confidence is really critical. But what I'm interested in is somebody who's doing okay, but sure they could do better. Right. Or someone who's doing okay, but not really having enough fun with it. So this is where I get out and say, how can we make it more fun? How can we make it more
0: effective? It's that mindset and the motivation. It kind of goes back to that piece that we were talking about before. Um, <laughs> I heard in the beginning where you were very quickly talking about your background and how you were in timeshare sales. And that, I'm sure, has colored or cut away some of the things that you do now. Was that was that something that has shaped how you uh, work with people now and what have you taken away from it? And helped you with your business.
1: Right. So for those of your um, viewers, listeners who don't know, timeshare sales is, you know, the um, selling of shares in a property um, that could be sold as a week or a unit or something. And and you can use it and you can trade it and you can go elsewhere. And very frequently, uh, and certainly in my case, it's a high pressure um, psychological sell. So very often, and in my case, I was there. There are kind of two departments, two major departments. There's the marketing department, who are the guys who bring people in off the street or in on the planes for a two-day getaway for a hundred bucks, um, and all you have to do is spend an hour touring this new resort, and you get, you know, free dolphin ride and stuff like this. Um, and then you've got the salespeople, and I was one of the salespeople who sit inside. And so when people walk in, particularly if they've been dragged off the street with a, an inflatable unicorn under their arm and a screaming kid in tow. They think they're there to pick up the complimentary bottle of wine that they just won on a scratch card. Um, And and when they walk into this environment, they realize that it's a sales environment. There's no two ways about it. Nobody spends millions of pounds or euros decking out uh, an enormous ballroom in a a five-star hotel for looks, right? You know that they're there to take your money. So automatically, the prospect was hostile. Um, and we called them ups, uh, which was, which stood for unqualified prospect. So part of our duty was to qualify them, make sure they were good. And if, um, if they were, we had to continue with them and it wasn't up to us to disqualify them. It was up to our managers. It was before the Wolf of Wall Street became oh, a wow. uh, hit. it was well before then, but it was that kind of environment. We were, we were given daily. So, so anyway, it was a very tough sales environment and it taught me probably three, three critical things. Um. and and turnover was huge we were paid commission only if we didn't make sales a couple of months in a row we were out no questions asked if we were bottom of the sales leaderboard a couple of months in a row we were out um and and a few things were done really well so every single morning there was sales training and motivation for 45 minutes before the day started we had to be in i think at nine o'clock and the first ups came through the door at 10 o'clock or something like that that hour was spent training 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 from the managers not from outside trainers, not from external trainers, but from the managers who you were talking to on a daily basis, which meant training, reinforcement, and company culture was so strong, it was just impossible to escape from it. It was impossible. And that's the way the training should be done. It right. should be done in-house, he says as a sales trainer, but also a sales trainer who doesn't want any corporate work. should be done in-house, <laughs> and it should be done by the manager. It should be done on a daily basis if you want to get the best out of your staff. No question, because they were the best we were the best sales team I've ever had the pleasure of working with. Yeah. Secondly, sticking to the process works. This is where I become obsessed with yeah. the process, right? So we had a very strict script and order of doing things that we had to do. Like for the first hour, we were doing qualification and warm up. And that warm up was getting to know them and getting them to like us. And we had to set up for an hour, one hour of small talk before we were even allowed to introduce the prospect to what the product was or why they were there or stuff like that. You know, it was it was hard and, and, and we had to stick to it. And then we had to do a site visit, which meant even if they were with us for four hours, we had to jump in a cab and drive out for oh, 45 wow. minutes give yeah. them a tour and come back. And then we had to go and take them to a video and we'd be exhausted. We'd have time to do two a day maximum. That was assuming that the average time we spent with somebody was four hours and a successful sale would would often take longer. Um, but it was, it was hardcore and we had to stick to the script and that's why across the board, everybody had the same closing rate across the board. Mm -hmm. You know, some people were better than others because of the confidence, but those who stuck around. Right. We were closing between 11 and 15%. That means the good guys were closing 18%, right. poor ones 9%. And um, and it was like clockwork, right? Yeah. If you stick to the script, newbies could sell just as well as experienced people if they knew the script. Now, I'm not one for sales scripts, but sales processes, yeah. uh, that's dope. The other thing that stuck with me is that I didn't want to sell it to my grandmother uh, or my parents, and therefore I wanted to get out after a year. I decided I was quite young, I was probably 23, 24. And I said, at that point, I said, if I can't sell it, you know, my dad couldn't happily describe to his friends back home what I did for a living. Uh, and I can live with that. But when I realized that I couldn't stand by the product, I said, there have got to be easier ways to sleep at night. It was also a very fast moving environment. There's a lot of drugs. There was a lot of drinking. Um, there was a lot of uh, fun, frankly. And uh, after a while, I realized that if I didn't leave, I was either going to get fired. I was going to have a two month bad run or I was going to burn out and turn into one of these awful pockmarked um timeshare journeyman trekking from one country to another with a string of children and oh
0: my (laughs) it's another mental postcard Uh, but oh that was really good though to help see the the path we see how disciplined you are now and why you are and the focus that you have on the the procedures i think that's that's excellent excellent and then you took the good Um, and left the bad
1: <laughs> yeah and and the psycho, you know the psychology of selling um yeah. also from that really that was the that was the first psychological sale where um you really realize that even if somebody wanted to kill you with their eyes when they walked in the door there was a 10 percent chance or 12 percent chance they would say yes to you at the end of the or if you do the job properly so yeah. we don't assume we don't presuppose the best sales people assume that they will get the business but also be slightly pessimistic and by pessimistic i mean um Anticipate the worst. Anticipate problems. Anticipate objections. In my training courses, I don't talk about handling objections so much as I do as preempting preempting objections. You know, the same things are going to come up. Objections are obstacles to to the sale. Um, if people frequently say, "Well, it seems expensive," let's address that in advance. Right. Or if people say, if people frequently say, "I need to think about it. I need to talk to my wife," let's address that in advance, or let's build into the process what happens so they can either get their wife on the phone, or we can agree that the follow up you know, set a meeting at a meeting, the follow up is going to take place tomorrow after they've had the opportunity to discuss it with their wife or whatever that might be. So we, we must be naturally pessimistic to assume that, assume we're going to get the sale, but also assume that no matter what goes, no matter what could go wrong, will go wrong and mitigate against that. Mitigation is is my favorite word when it comes to selling, you know, mitigate against risk, mitigate against somebody not doing business with you, um, mitigate for our own success.
0: This has been excellent. Matthew, thank you so very much for sharing your wisdom. How can people learn about you, reach out to you? What is the best way for them to contact you or get on your list? Or what, what way would you like them to?
1: Sure. So you can you? always email me, email me Matthew at MatthewKimberly.com. Uh, I am a very keen correspondent with hundreds and hundreds of people. And so Some of them even pay me for that. (laughs) So um, obviously, I won't pay you to send me an email, uh, but I'll be very happy to get into correspondence with you. You can also go to my website, uh, which is MatthewKimberly.com, and put your email address in the little box that says download your guide, five things you need to do every morning to get more clients in 60 days. And that's how we begin our relationship. But uh, I'm hyper approachable. I uh, think you'll agree, Cheryl, You know, we've been corresponding for a while now and uh, always interested to see if I can help you. Always interested to see how we can work together. Always interested to see if there's if there's any way that I can make your life easier in a mutually beneficial way.
0: Yeah. Some of the best emails come from you, Matthew. Really just entertaining and makes you think. There's mindset and motivation all in that. So, uh, yes, contact him, and I'll put all that information in the show notes for the show. And I just have one last question for you, something I ask everybody who comes on the show, and that is... What would you say makes you a standout? What makes you excellent?
1: You've asked an Englishman. You've asked an Englishman this question. Yes. Um, (laughs) uh, I I tell you what I'm most proud of. I tell you what I'm most proud of, and which I think I do better than anybody else. I refuse to underestimate the intelligence of the people that I communicate with right? I refuse to talk down to anybody on my mailing list. I just assume that you're all as smart as everybody else that I've ever met. Um, and I'm allergic to hype and hyperbole and I'm certainly allergic to using a four letter word when a 45 letter word will do.
0: (laughs) Fantastic. Oh, so good. Thank you for joining us for the show, Matthew. And, uh We'll talk with you, hopefully, at some point again in the future. Thanks for
1: having me, Cheryl. It's been fantastic. Thank you.
0: I will put all of the links for this show on the show notes page for Standout. You can find that at CherylTanMedia.com forward slash podcast. This is episode number 51. If you like what you're hearing or have feedback to make this show better, I'd love to read it. Please leave a review of the show, Standout with Cheryl Tan, in iTunes. I would love it if you subscribe to the show as well. Thank you so much for taking time to join us. Until next time, I'm Cheryl Tan.